Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode in our series, Get Inspired for the New Year. This week, we're trying to help homeschooling moms get 2015 off to a great start by interviewing some inspiring moms with messages that will be helpful to us all. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you that if you have just a moment, a rating or review in iTunes is a great way to show your appreciation of the podcast. iTunes uses that rating information to determine which podcasts it will share with listeners. And so I really appreciate all of you who take the time to do that. If you need some help with that process, if you go to homeschoolsnapshotspodcast.com, I'll walk you through how to do it. And thanks so much. Today, I get to interview Colleen Kessler, who has a great big heart and some really wonderful information to share about her passions of science, gifted kids, and some practical ideas for effective parenting. So grab a drink, put your feet up, and enjoy the interview. Colleen Kessler is the mom of four kids, ranging in age from 2 to 12. She is a former classroom teacher and gifted intervention specialist who left the classroom to freelance write after the birth of her first child. Today, she homeschools all of them as she writes books for teachers and students, including her newest book, Raising Creative Kids. She also authors the homeschool blog, Raising Lifelong Learners, where she strives to encourage and equip homeschool moms. Hi, Colleen, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Tell me a little bit about your family. Well, like you said, we have four kids. Our youngest just turned two. His name's Isaac. We have a five-year-old little girl, Logan, a seven-year-old girl, Molly, and a 12-year-old, Trevor. And my husband is Brian. He is a first grade teacher. He's a reading specialist, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So we have uh, lots of homeschool help around here. Yes, you Uh, do. Well, occasionally. But yeah, so we homeschool the four of them and kind of just try to stay a step ahead of the chaos as best we can. Well, how did you get started homeschooling? We started homeschooling. Okay, so my son is gifted. He has a very high IQ, which was tested when he was in school. He actually started in kindergarten and went through February of first grade and had been struggling. In kindergarten, he... He was always, you know, kind of in trouble and distracted and distractible. And we had checked him for ADHD and some other issues. And during that testing, found his ability, his giftedness. And he is what's called a twice exceptional kid where he has a disability as well as as his ability. So he struggles with ADHD, some sensory processing issues, and definite, definite impulse control, which really Mm -hmm. kind of masked his ability in the classroom. And then increased his disability. So he was getting dejected and starting to fail and lose his love of learning. And because private school was not an option, we looked into homeschooling and just decided to kind of try it case by case, kid by kid, year by year. And like four years, five years later here, we're still going at it because we think it's the best fit for our family. Oh, fun. Very fun. Yeah. It's nice when you find something that works and it solves such a big problem. I know it was a a weight lifted off of you to be able to do that. Definitely. There were some struggles in the beginning because, you know, coming from the classroom as a former teacher and then having my husband be a teacher as well, 
We kind of have the classroom teacher mentality where you know everybody sits at their desk and follows instructions right away where you're managing large groups of children. And it's not the same when it's your kid, as most homeschoolers know. And so I kind of got in my own way more often than not in the beginning, for sure. And if we're learning, we're getting better as we go. Each year is a little bit better. Yeah. Well, as a former classroom teacher myself, a lot of times I was my biggest enemy when we first started and sometimes still am. Yeah, (laughs) I can totally relate to that. Well, I have a question for you and it's multiple choice. So (laughs) I, yeah, I like to start you off a little bit easier. Your homeschool days are most like which literary classic? Would it be A, The Odyssey, B, Little Women, C, Swiss Family Robinson, or D, Lord of the Flies? Oh, that's a tough one. I think that we'd probably be across between C and D most of the time, kind of fending for ourselves, uh, trying to ease the chaos and keep everyone from each other's throats. Uh, (laughs) We have very spirited children in our house, from the oldest all the way down to the youngest. We're just trying to keep everyone from killing themselves and each other throughout the day. Your kids fight? Uh, Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) They, They fight and they wrestle and they get on each other's nerves and they love to push each other's buttons, except when they are on the same team and then they are passionately on the same team playing wonderfully together. And But it's totally up to them what they're going to come out with from the gate in the morning. It's fun to watch them. You know, sometimes they all band together and it's like they're against, you know, sometimes I feel like they're against me. And then other times, oh, yeah, uh, yeah you just can't get them going all in the same direction. So, yeah, I say it's a lot like herding rabid cats. Yes, <laughs> I've never heard the <laughs> rabid part, but the cats, definitely. <laughs> What homeschool book do you think has been the most influential on you as a homeschool mom? I read a ton when I first started thinking about homeschooling. And interestingly, it was my son, who was six at the time or seven at the time, who asked us if we would consider homeschooling, like that big family he saw on TV, the Duggars, because he knew that school wasn't working for him. And the way I work is I have to do a lot of research. So I did. I read lots and lots and lots and lots of books. The one that stuck with me most and kind of oh, just spurs me on is by, I think it's Lisa Rivero. And it is Creative Homeschooling. A research, I think it's called a resource guide. Yeah, a resource guide for smart families, creative homeschooling. And it was really eye-opening to that whole idea of taking that intelligence and taking kids right where they are and moving them forward and guiding them and inspiring them to become lifelong learners and and kind of taking responsibility for their own education from early on. And she actually was a writer who brought her own gifted son home. So, Oh, cool. Well, you know what? I think I would not have believed it could happen, but I think you've hit upon a homeschooling book I have not heard of. <laughs> and so, I, Really? Yes. I would not have thought it possible. There's, there's some reading for you. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to check <laughs> it out. Well, it's 11 a.m. and someone at your house is crying. Is it you? Or is it one of the kids? Oh, it could very well be me. Um, (laughs) It's a toss up between me, my five-year-old and my toddler. And it's usually the 12-year-old that's instigating whichever bout of tears is happening there. He's really good at pushing buttons to distract from what needs to happen. But yeah, it could be me. And, uh, you know, over the last few months, it was me a lot. I really needed this holiday break and needed to get a fresh start for the new year. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a lovely up. thing about holidays is that you get a little time off and get to start again. Yes, definitely. Well, if you were going to be stranded on a deserted island, what three things would you take with you to homeschool? 
Oh, would I have access to plugs? Because I'd want a <laughs> Kindle with lots of books or is that cheating? <laughs> I would bring books. I would bring whatever books I can that could spark conversations and debate and interests and discoveries and like field guides because we do a lot of just hands-on immersion kind of whatever we're interested in. And a desert island would be a great place to investigate oh, yeah. animals and plants and all sorts of cool things. So I'd want something that could take the environment around us and make that our schooling. You get two more things. Oh, but that's like a lot because they're all books. Okay. So what else? Some kind of journaling or paper or something that we could write down our observations and look at things. And then, I don't know, one of my favorite little things to go is a pocket microscope mm. where the kids can look through it like a magnifying glass. They can also look, it's not very powerful, but just just enough to kind of give you a little bit more detail under the surface. So you can kind of see what's there just beneath what your eye can notice by itself. And so we could open up those conversations about how there's just so much there. And if you open your eyes and you keep watching what's going on, you can make some really interesting discoveries. Wow, that sounds like an awesome education. Sometimes. Talk to my kids. Maybe you can convince them. (laughs) They never like the things that are good for them. No. (laughs) Well, fill in the blank for me. As a homeschool mom, I really rock blank. Oh, well, what do I rock? See, you're catching me like at a time when, you know, I'm coming off of that period. I don't think I'm rocking everything really well at all. But if there's one thing that I do do well, it is science. It is kids science where we can just take, we just take whatever it is that's around us and we can put it together and be creative with it and investigate its properties, whether it is a banana from the cupboard that is turning brown or baking soda and vinegar all the way to like dissecting a dragonfly wing we found. So we can find science in just about everything we do and get creative with it and make some kind of experiment or activity to go along with it. You know, that's a gift, right? Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun for me. It's play for me. So it doesn't feel like a gift. It just feels like what we do because it's enjoyable. Well, it really is because, you know, as somebody who doesn't have that and who's kind of on the outside listening to you talk about that, that just scares me to death for some reason. And, you know, and it's not the matter that it's a bug wing. It would just be, I don't know half the stuff that we find when we're outside. And Oh, but that's the fun. That's the fun. (laughs) You pick up a book or you go onto the Internet and you figure it out. I don't know half the things we find anyway, but you have to be curious and you have to um, show your to be a learner alongside of them. I think that that's the beauty of homeschooling. We have that opportunity to just learn with our kids. Right. Well, and I guess that's part of my leftover teacher baggage is that so many times I feel like I have to have the answer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe there's a resolution for me in the new year. (laughs) There, There you go. That is hard though, especially coming from the background that we come from. I was lucky before I left teaching, I left the classroom. I became an intervention specialist for gifted and talented kids. And so I wasn't tied to the curriculum as much as I was when I was a classroom teacher. So Mm -hmm. I was able to start breaking free from some of those chains and follow the interests of the gifted kids I was advocating for. So I actually, so that is one benefit to my teaching background that I can try to kick back in when the rest of the classroom model tries to hold me back. Right. That's awesome. Favorite family read aloud ever. Well, oh, there's so many. I just, we just love books. We've actually been in the middle of the secret garden for a really long time, like way too long, not because 
it's a bad book, but because we're enjoying it so much and then we get off on tangents and forget about it and come pick back up where it is. I love Secret Garden. I love A Little Princess. I love Swiss Family Robinson. Just all those classics that have adventure and intrigue and just, just, you know, everyday kids being kids. And I like that. I like books that inspire kids to just play and explore. Good. Well, we have not done The Secret Garden as a read aloud. Um, we did The Little Princess a few years ago as an audiobook and really enjoyed that one as well. Oh. So I need to add Secret Garden to our list. Do you have any homeschooling pet peeves? Oh, yes, I do. Actually, my biggest pet peeve is probably something that most homeschoolers go through is just like the kids like fighting it that, you know, I don't want to do this. I hate doing this when especially mine, my oldest is the one that's the worst about this, but he knows what it was like sitting in the classroom for Mm -hmm. endless hours doing the work that he could finish conceivably in 10 minutes, but he'd still have to sit through the hour long math lesson. He was there and he experienced it and was frustrated by it. And to complain endlessly about a math lesson at home that if it takes him 10 minutes, he's done. But if it takes him two hours, it takes him two hours is is my biggest pet peeve of all because the opportunities that he wastes by complaining and the others too, they all, you know, go through their complaining periods. But it's like, you know, think about what you have and what you are blessed with and how much time you get to spend with your toys and your siblings and your friends and at the park. And to complain about a math lesson that should have been done in 20 minutes is just like nails on the chalkboard for me. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's funny because my kids do this too. And I often sit here and think, boy, if I could just send you to school for a little while and you could see, but apparently it wouldn't help. No, it wouldn't because my son has that background and still complains about it. I guess kids are going to be kids. Yeah. Because they'd complain if they were in school too. They'd complain about homework. This just, nobody wants to do what they don't choose to do. Yeah. And there are very few children that choose to sit down with the math book. And if you have one, oh, great for you. Celebrate that and enjoy it. Yes. Well, you know, it's funny though, as we're talking about this, I'm not so sure I would choose to sit down with a math book either. So, No. What is one thing in your Amazon shopping cart right now? I've got like four things in there. What do I have in there? See, you're going to make me check because I'm online. (laughs) Um, Okay. Right now, I'm going to tell you two things because they've been sitting in there for a really long time. A set of Melissa and Doug standard unit blocks, the 60-piece set, because they're just gorgeous and heirloom quality. And unit blocks are like a cornerstone of childhood and kindergarten and preschool. And I just, I never had a set for my kids. I've got blocks. I've got Legos. I've got wedgets. I've got every kind of building utensil imaginable. But I don't have those regular wooden unit blocks that you find in every preschool kindergarten classroom. And so that's been sitting in my cart waiting for it to go on sale because it was on sale once a flash and I missed it. And then the other thing is a human body magnet because the kids and I are going to start learning about the human body. And it is this cool, I don't even know who makes it, but it's called the body magnet. And it is really, really neat. It's got like a wooden person, a, a placard that's the person and little overlays that go on top of it. And the kids can use like these gajillion magnets to put them on top with the different systems. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. And it comes with a little pointer and it's really, really neat. 
So I just have not been able to pull the trigger and buy it yet because it's like $30 and we just got came off a Christmas and a birthday and ugh. so it's sitting there waiting for me to decide, yeah, it's time to get it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, when do you start planning for next year? Well, we have over the last few years, we've kind of evolved into more of a year round approach. So while we take lots of breaks, we don't necessarily completely stop over the summer. We're more of a, like when you finish a level, the kids earn a week off of that subject and then they just dive right back into the next levels, particularly math. One of my son's goals, which he's in the last year where he's kind of fallen into the complaining mode, one of his goals originally was to finish high school math before he entered high school so he could do dual enrollment. And this was his goal as like a second grader. And he's perfectly capable of doing it. But over the last year or so, he's just, you know, he's preteen. He's going through that. I want to complain about everything. But when he made that goal, we realized and decided that, you know, math is one of those skills that just builds on each on itself often. And it's, it's better to not completely stop because you need the practice. And so math, for sure, they just kind of keep on going. They do a math lesson a day, five or six days a week. And they like their, we use Singapore math and they like it because it's not overly repetitive and it, it's very rigorous, but not too rigorous. There's not, there's a lot of white space on the page, so it doesn't seem overwhelming when they're doing it. And so they just kind of keep on going, except when we all just take a break. Like over the holidays, we take about four or five weeks because we have birthdays and Christmas and New Year's and it's Advent season and there's just so much going on. So they have a break then. But that's about the longest break that they have unless we're on a vacation. So we buy things throughout the year and plan throughout the year as we see gaps coming up or workbooks that are about to get finished or whatever. And I say workbooks, but we don't use a ton of workbooks. It's primarily math and then like grammar if we need some practice that we pull a workbook in. But they know once they finish a subject level, they have a week off of that subject. So you don't sit down and do some giant planning session once a year. You're just kind of continuously doing it as you're going along. Yeah. And a lot of that is because we don't prescribe to like a specific curriculum. We're really eclectic in what we pull and we use things more more as a spine, more of a jumping off point. Like we've been using for history, the mystery of history volume one for like three years now because we just use it as a starting point, read it as like a story introduction and then go off kind of on a tangent and, you know, do experiments and activities and projects that are related to that and then come back, oh, where should we go from here? Okay, well, we haven't, we talked about this, this and this without realizing we were doing it. So we'll just skip ahead to this lesson. And so we kind of plan when we, when I start to see that a a kind of lull is coming or they're getting tired of a topic, then I'll sit down and I'll plan just kind of that subject out because we, it's not really considered, I wouldn't consider us completely a unit study, but it is more integrating things kind of together. So, right. So yeah, it lends itself to that. Well, you said a couple of things that I don't want to let slip past. Um, First of all, you said math five or six days a week. Uh, What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Six days a week? Sometimes. Yeah. And that's because when we have a big long break or we have different things happening, you know, especially with a little one, like a toddler, you know, around the house, you get sick. And everybody, it goes through everybody. And with a toddler, and my five-year-old's pretty needy, everything gets derailed. My kids are not, uh, with the exception of my seven-year-old, they are not self-starters and they are not self-motivators. So if I'm sick or if I'm caring for one of them, 
who's you know down or sick or injured or whatever, or we've got a lot going on with birthdays and, and holidays and things, they're not going to pick up their math book unless I am like, you know, twisting the thumb screws. So we do it five or six days a week to make up for those big, long six to eight week breaks that we take periodically if we just have too many things going on. So it kind of all evens out by the end of the year, but it gives us that ability to take off time. My husband travels to Columbus often for his teaching job and he does some stuff at the state level. And if we're consistently doing five or six days a week of math in particular, or some of the other subjects, then we can take off a couple of days and go with him if he's going to have a hotel room and swim and hit the science center and stuff without any worry about bringing anything along because we know it's going to even out in the end. Right. Well, it sounds like you haven't had a problem kind of letting go of some of those teachery school year kind of stereotypes with, you know, I've got to cover this subject this year or we've got to school these days and not these days. You've been able to really embrace the homeschool lifestyle and let a lot of that go. I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) It's a process, isn't it? Definitely. There are ups and downs for sure. Well, the other thing you said in there that really kind of, and I want to talk about this for just a minute because I know this is a particular passion of yours. You mentioned that your son had this goal to finish high school math by the time before he started high school. And this was a goal he had in second grade. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's speaking to his high IQ and his giftedness. And now you're telling me he is a preteen and all of a sudden he's lost this motivation. And so I think it's, I just think it's important for people to realize that the motivation doesn't always match up with the ability in gifted kids. Uh, Absolutely. And it's actually one of the biggest struggles in parenting and teaching as a teacher too. And gosh, especially if you are parenting and teaching a gifted kid, the stereotype is that the gifted kids are going to be good and do just fine no matter what, because they have the ability and they can just get it. But the truth of the matter is many, many of them struggle with social and emotional issues, in particular things like perfectionism and something called imposter syndrome, where they cannot believe that they really are as as bright as you think they are. Because if I was, I would never fail. I would Mm -hmm. never make a mistake. And then so either that imposter syndrome starts doing, it damages their self-esteem or the perfectionism takes over and they're so paralyzed by the perfectionism, they don't even want to try. And so finding the motivation can be even more problematic. All kids All kids struggle with motivation, no matter what, whether it is being motivated for math or being motivated to get outside and off of the video games. Every child has some struggle with motivation because, you know, they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it because they're kids. But it's compounded when you're dealing with the social emotional issues of a gifted child because that IQ is so high and they can project way into the future and make a statement at, you know, in second grade and fully understand the repercussions of, I want to finish high school math by the time I get into high school because I want to be taking classes at the college level and understand that and really mean it. But then when faced with, hey, I could really make this happen, shut down because what if I don't? What if I don't make that happen? And I've been saying it all along. I'll be a complete failure. I'll never amount to anything. And it's a really tricky thing to navigate because you're dealing with a high intellect, but the emotional maturity is still that of a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 7-year-old. 
And reconciling those two things is really, really a huge challenge and oftentimes requires counseling and a professional that is not just a teacher of gifted kids. Well, some of your most popular posts at Raising Lifelong Learners deal with parenting intense kids. And I know that parents of any kind of kids, myself included, often use the new year as a time, you know, to, oh, this is where I'd like to do better parenting. And I thought maybe you could offer us a few suggestions for that. So what's something you think all parents could do to make a difference in their parenting this year? I think, okay, we, like you said, the posts that I write about intense kids are based off of my own experiences as a parent of intense kids and a teacher of intense kids, because oftentimes that goes hand in hand with giftedness. But the fact of the matter is, it's really just, it's good parenting. And I think the best tip for parents is to keep it simple and keep it consistent. Figure out, like we have three rules in our house, obey, be kind, and be a helper. Pretty much everything can fall under those three Mm -hmm. rules. And we define for the kids non-negotiables and what the consequences are for breaking those. Like they can't lie, they can't steal, they can't hurt, they can't be unkind. And so if they do those things, they know that an unkindness, they're earning an extra chore. They steal sister's candy, they're going to replace it, and they're going to do an extra chore. That's just like, we keep it simple. Extra chore, but disrespect to parents is loss of the Kindle Fire, because that's, of course, a biggie. But there are two consequences. The big consequence is loss of this. The little consequence for any other little infraction is an extra chore. You stop what you're doing, and you do this for me that I tell you, because you need to be broken out of that habit, and you need to, or broken out of whatever it is you're doing wrong and get yourself back on track. And so think about it while you're, I don't know, wiping down the front of the stove. They don't have to be big things, but it's consistent, it's calm, and it's non-negotiable. You know, just keep it simple and keep it consistent. I like that. Keep it simple and keep it consistent. Because, you know, I think too often we try to create these big complicated systems or something and we end up shooting ourselves in the foot because we have this long list of rules that nobody can remember, even ourselves, and this grand set of consequences and we end up being ineffective because we can't remember the system. Right. I've done that so many times. And then, you know, when you have a spouse that, you know, isn't working from home also, and he's trying to remember what you've put into place and you're trying to remember what he put into place. And then he's just frustrated. And so he says, go to your room. And then you're like, well, no, you can't do that because we're supposed to be, you know, it just makes it too difficult. So if, if it's simple, if it's written down, if it's consistent, then nobody In fact, I always say, we just let the rules speak for themselves. If you're not obedient, if you're not being kind, if you're not being a helper, well, then you're earning the consequence, which is an extra chore. The rules speak for themselves. You're choosing to break this one, so you're choosing to earn an extra chore. It's not me. It's not personal. You made a choice. It's simple and it's consistent. And it doesn't always work, but (laughs) it works more often than it doesn't because the consistency and the expectation is there and I'm not overthinking all the you get a ticket for this and a pick from the treasure box for this and a date with mom if you do this and sticker charts. We've tried everything and simple works the best. Awesome. Great idea. Well, Colleen, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So just first answer that comes to your mind. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Lots of it. A little bit country or a little bit rock and roll? Ooh, I'm a little bit country, but I have some rock and roll sneaking behind the scenes. Well-trained mind or unschoolers anonymous? See, dead center, dead center. Sorry, can't answer that one definitively. Early, (laughs) Early bird or night owl? 
Oh, night owl, big time. Oh, yeah. Craft or read aloud? <laughs> okay, so this one, I would rather read aloud. My kids would rather craft. So <laughs> we do a mix. <laughs> lap book or workbook? Lap book. Co-op or stay home? Co-op. Bed made or unmade? Totally unmade often. Bookmark or dog ear? Dog ear. Ooh, sorry. All you bibliophiles out there, sorry. Sonnet or haiku? Sonnet. My heart is sonnet, but I'm more of a haiku gal written wise. Where can people find you online? <laughs> they can find me at RaisingLifelongLearners.com. And I'm on a Facebook slash Raising Lifelong Learners. We've got a great community over there. Come on over. Join in the conversation. Yes, you do. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Awesome. And there you have it. The end of our Get Inspired series and the beginning of what I hope becomes a regular part of your homeschool inspiration. For information about the books and links Colleen and I talked about today, check out the show notes at homeschoolsnapshotspodcast.com forward slash five. There, you can also leave a comment or question for Colleen or myself. The next episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast will be out at our regularly scheduled interval in a couple of weeks. To be sure you don't miss it or any future episodes, you can subscribe via iTunes or by email at homeschoolsnapshotspodcast.com. I hope you join us for the next episode. And until then, keep on homeschooling.